Well, good morning again, everyone. My name is Pastor Milo. So glad that you are here with us this morning. Uh, Today is Father's Day. Pastor Brian and I were talking about this this week. His dad is a pastor as well. And so uh, he kind of pointed out, this is what churches do. He said, Mother's Day, we tell moms how great they are. And on Father's Day, we tell dads what they have to work on. And, and I didn't really actually know that was the case until I looked up some sermon titles. And you've probably heard uh, many of these sermons. So Mother's Day sermon titles uh, would be A Mother's Instinct, uh, You Raise Me Up, A Godly Mother's Gaze, and What to Give Your Mother on Mother's Day. Those are great sermon titles, wouldn't you say, for Mother's Day. Here's the Father's Day sermon titles, uh, How to Be an Influential Father. Uh, the Father Your Child Needs and Wants, Becoming a Man of Steel, uh, Set Your House in Order. And so we have a much different approach. Uh, we're opening up the windows on the side, guys, just to get some air movement in here. We know it's warm, and so uh, we appreciate your patience with that. Uh, Father's Day is one of those days where it, we really kind of treat it differently uh, for whatever reason. and. Uh, but that's the, the reality of what it is. This week, special for me, uh, or I guess for me and my family, uh, my brother-in-law Shane uh, became a father this week in the most spectacular of ways. Um, he is the Erie County Forester, so that means that he gets to live in a like a ranger cabin uh, down in uh, Sardinia, New York. There's a few thousand acres there of, of uh, forestry that he manages and, and takes care of that area. And so uh, his wife, Lauren, was due uh, this last week, and they were kind of keeping track of all of uh, what was going on. And, and eventually, this was Wednesday morning, they said, it's, it's time. And so part of their plan, you know, in, in making sure uh, the fact that he lives a fair distance away from the hospital, fair distance away from the city, uh, that they were going to need avid time to be able to get there. And so uh, Wednesday morning, about two in the morning, she'd been going through contractions for a number of hours at that point. They, they called uh, their doula and be able to say, okay, I think it's time. I think it's time for us to go. And uh, if you've ever met my brother-in-law, Shane, which you haven't, but I'll tell you, he's a very uh, just kind of slow, methodical speaker and just kind of talks very calm all the time, very almost sleepy half the time when you're talking to him. And so uh, apparently what ended up happening is he made all the phone calls uh, to the doula. And, and every time that she talked to him on the phone, she would tell him, you know, it's, you probably can wait another couple of hours. Don't get uh, too excited all at once because he was just, just overly calm, over relaxed. And so eventually at uh, about 4.30 in the morning, they began going to the hospital. And uh, while on their way, uh, the, uh, the doula again was on the phone and said, listen, you're kind of getting ahead of yourself. Uh, you can turn around and go back home uh, and things will be all right. And some of you are nodding, you see how this goes. Uh, at 7 o'clock, uh, 7 o'clock, it was on. It was, it was getting real. And at that point, uh, they tried to go out to the car, and the contractions were coming so quickly, they could not even physically uh, get Lauren out the door to get her to the car. Uh, and so my brother-in-law, uh, in, the, in the middle of the forest, uh, delivered his own baby. He's a first-time baby, a first-time father, delivered his own baby in the bathroom, in the house. And uh, man, he is a superhero, let me tell you. Um, and so, and Lauren had a few things to do with it too, I suppose. Uh, we got to go and see that little baby yesterday, and I uh, drove out to see them. And very appropriately named, the baby's name is Mountain Thomas Daly. 
uh, that kid just, man, the first thing, first day he ever went up again, he had a mountain to climb right out of the gate uh, for sure. And so all people in life will always notice uh, the uniqueness of my nephew's name. They will always kind of catch that boy's name, Mountain. There's always a story uh, going to be with his birth story. In our family, that's kind of what we do. On, on your birthday, we'll tell you your birth story. This is how you were born. This is what happened. I mean, he has an epic story that he's going to have every single year. Uh, but the reality is, is that name is perfect for him. He had this mountain to climb on the very first day. And if any of you have ever done any mountain climbing, I know Aaron Richbart and a few others, uh, they've taken us out and we went to the Adirondacks a few years ago. If you're doing climbing or hiking or something like that, you know there's a certain level of physical fitness that you need before uh, you hit the trail. Training starts before you start climbing the mountain. Training starts well before you run the marathon. Training starts well before you go to the Olympic trials. Training starts well before you try to climb the mountain. And so this morning, I want to bring this up because dads on Father's Day, dads, you and I, dads are terrible at this. Um, we think that we can just go out and do stuff. No warm-ups, no stretching. No training. I mean, think about it. How many times, how many times have you heard someone's mother tell the story about how they went to the YMCA and went and played basketball a little bit too hard and swung their elbow around and broke somebody's nose? How many moms have you heard that have done that? How many, someone just raised their hand. I didn't see that coming. Okay. Uh, how many moms have you heard of who are pulled a hammy in the backyard because they were running a go route where their kids like they were going to win the Super Bowl? Uh, you know, that doesn't happen. Like moms are not nearly as bad at doing this. Uh, how many moms have you ever heard charging the mound in a, in a charity softball game because they're mad at the... <laughs> moms generally are not the ones to do this, but dads... We are. And so dads, this is for you. Moms, you're here. Uh, kids, you're the ones who just came from fifth grade into sixth grade. You're here. And so there is something for you today, but we really want to talk about today strength training. Training starts before the gun goes off. Training starts before the mountain climb. It will not be easy. It will require a certain level of spiritual, physical fitness, <coughs> excuse me, before you begin the climb. And the authors of the New Testament want to remind us, and they do often, that it is going to be a climb. It is going to be hard work. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, the author says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In John chapter 16, Jesus says, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. One of his disciples, James, writes in James chapter 1, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when, not if or perhaps, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of all kinds. So how are you training today so that you will have strength for tomorrow? 1 Timothy chapter 4 says this, verse 7, Train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has a value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. 
we are to train. We are to endure. We are to have, yes, some physical training has some value, but it's saying, why would you spend all of your time on physical training? You need to have some spiritual training, some spiritual development. Why? Because it holds promise for both this present life and the life to come. So if we're going to talk about training this morning, we're going to talk about what are the building blocks of strength, of sound strength training. In your bulletin, you have a white sheet of paper. Many of you are fanning yourself with your bulletin right now, and that's fine. You have a white sheet of paper. That's an outline to get yourself through it uh, this morning. We'll be carrying you through the uh, outline of where we're going today. This opening statement I want to make to you for this morning is good activity plus good nutrition equals great results. Good activity plus good nutrition equals great results. We are in Hebrews chapter 13 this morning. If you want to take that Bible that's in the pew in front of you, you can take that out. If you've got your own Bible, I'll be working from the New International Version today. Uh, If you pull that Bible out in front of you, you're looking, you're trying to find your way, it's on page 1265 in that black Bible that's there in front of you. We have two more weeks to go in this series that we've called uh, The Race. Uh, so we're almost finishing the book of Hebrews. Uh, last week, uh, Brian talked about uh, doing the dishes and the idea of, like, of cleaning up, of coming to the end. We're, we're kind of tying up some loose ends here when, in regards to the book of Hebrews and this, this cleanup. And so today, actually, will be there's some meal illustrations, some food illustrations that come out of the text today as well. And so we're going to use kind of that theme of cleaning up or kind of finishing up a meal uh, together. We'll use some illustrations there because we'll see this again. That good activity, good nutrition equals great results. Those are the building blocks of sound training, sound strength training. So let's get started. Your first fill-in this morning, your first fill-in is the word trust. Trust. And then the second one is know your food. Trust. Know your food. And this is Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 7. It says this, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which have no benefit to those who do so. So hopefully you're attending a church, or if you're attending a church here, you are hopefully attending a church where the pastors and elders are examples, as it says here, of integrity, of sacrifice, and of faith. And we are a church that values the the pastoral care. We're the type of church that sees that effective discipleship is only going to happen when we are eyeball to eyeball, face to face with someone. Not just hearing someone teach, uh, hearing us communicate from the stage on Sundays does some work, but really the reality of discipleship, of training and pastoring happens a long distance away from this stage. Why? You cannot imitate a verbal faith. You cannot imitate a verbal faith. You have to imitate a real, up-close, authentic, personal faith. You cannot imitate a verbal faith. Be certain that the leader that you are following, whatever the context is, but particularly in a spiritual walk, so if you're not from this area, if you're not from this community, if you're visiting with us today, you need to know you should be following a spiritual leader that is accessible. You should be following a spiritual leader accessible enough that you know how their lives are lived out before you listen to any of what they are saying or as you are listening to any of what they are saying. You need to know that what they are saying is actually what they are believing and what they are practicing. 
here at the church, I came on staff here a year ago as the pastor, as the lead pastor of the church came out around Easter last year. And there are times where I'll meet someone in town and they'll say, you know, what do you do? And I'll say, I'm the pastor at Randall Church. And they say, oh, like you're on staff, you're like the youth pastor or something. I say, no, I'm, I'm the pastor. And they say, well, you're pretty young for that, aren't you? And I'll say, yes, I am. They say, there's a lot of people in that church that are much older than you. It's going to be hard to lead people that are much more advanced than you. Yes, yes, it is difficult at times. And so in this context, in the world that we live in here as a church, you need to know that it's not just Pastor Milo that is leading this church. That there are elders that surround me, not only with age and wisdom and experience, but the spirituality and the faith that can be lived out in an authentic and real way to demonstrate the fact that this is the way that God would want you to live. That's the foundation that I stand on, not the verbiage that I put out here on a Sunday morning. You see, Christianity is about the finishers, not the starters. Christianity is about the finishers, not the starters. This week I had the honor of doing a funeral for Ethel Van Patten, 102 years old. Christianity is not about the starters. Christianity is about the finishers of the faith. So one of the reasons we chose here as a church to pursue what we call care corridors, where we've divided up our area and our congregation into regions that we call care corridors that are built by geography. We do that so that you have the opportunity, we have the opportunity to actually live our faith out one with another to meet each other at the trash can as we roll uh, the trash out to the street, to, to run into each other at the school as we drop our kids off in the morning for classes, to bump into each other at a kid's soccer game or football game, or to, to interact with each other at Home Depot because we're going to pick up similar supplies because there's flooding in the basements and everyone in the neighborhood. That's why we've set things up in this way. <coughs> and when you do that, There's an expectation that these men, these elders, these leaders, that they are living in a way that's hospitable, and they're living in a way that is accessible, and they are involved in your lives and in mine. And so that is why we set ourselves up in care corridors. Ultimately, it should do this. (coughs) Excuse me, as our fill-in says, it should build trust. It should build trust. See, you and I will trust someone, and so we will go in a direction that we were uncomfortable going before, but because that person we trusted said, you know what, we're going to go over here, we said, okay, I'm uncomfortable with this, but I trust you, and so I'll go over there. And so in that process, as we look at this scripture, we should always be able to follow trustworthy leaders. How do you know if they are trustworthy? That's the second half of this. Know your food. This is a term that's used now, or another way you might hear it said is from pasture to plate. Where does your food come from? Where does what you're eating come from? Now, in, in a very practical sense, I, as I told you earlier, I grew up on a farm, and we were in the early 2000s, I had moved away, I had left home, but my dad and my uncle, who were running the family farm at that point, were approached and asked whether they would be willing to make the transition to becoming an organic farm. And to be organic, to be a certified organic farm, that means that you have to be able to document and demonstrate every piece of the process so that you know what is happening to food or milk uh, or, or whatever your product that that farm is producing from the ground, from the pasture, all the way to the plate. And because of that, it's a two to three year process uh, that it takes before you can be certified organic. 
It's a difficult process to go through through any farmer because uh, in my, my case, it's a dairy farmer, so they were selling milk. And so that meant for two to three years that their milk would not be able to be certified as organic, but that also meant that they weren't allowed to use <coughs> excuse me, pesticides or different things like that that would help with their crops and help actually produce a good product. And for them, for our family, that risk was too great. It was too difficult to be able to say, we're gonna take three years to be able to demonstrate that we are organic. There's no way that our family farm were gonna survive that three years. But that's a meticulous process that that seal of an organic farmer goes through so that they can say, and that you can know at that, when you receive that product, that you can follow the process back. What is happening here? How can I know my food? How can I know where this is coming from? The same process happens in the local church, and it comes back to know your food, know the Bible. Know that, that this is coming from God's holy word. Everything is built around Scripture. Anything that I'm saying from the pulpit, you ought to be able to go back, run that against Scripture, run it through that filter and say, what Milo was teaching this morning, what, what one of our elders was teaching, what one of our leaders was teaching in an elective hour, what was, what was being proclaimed, where was that coming from? You should be able to go step by step by step back to and see that Scripture is the foundation. Verse 9 says, don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, not by the stuff, which is to benefit those who do so. <coughs> Instead, what is the foundation? Where is, it, where is it found? Jesus Christ, it says in verse 8, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so know your food. You can trust your food. You can trust where that is coming from if you are able to look and see that that is coming from God's word. So the building blocks of sound strength training are trust, knowing your food. Secondly, here's your second fill-in, risk. Go out to eat or go outside to eat might be more specific. Risk. Go out to eat. Verse number 10. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Again, this is talking about the Jews and the way that there was a very formal sense of what was being provided from a spiritual standpoint to the people. And there's only a few, a select few, the priests that was able to go and be at that altar. <coughs> the high priest, verse 11 says, carries the blood of the animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. However, the bodies are burned outside of the camp, verse 12, and so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him where? Outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. From here, we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Now, to give you a little background of what's going on here with the readers of Hebrews, and we've talked through some of these pieces as we've gone through these series, but I don't want to overlook it because of how important it is to what is being taught here. If you go back to the book of Exodus, Moses is leading his people out of Egypt. They've been delivered from Egypt. They've been saved from the slavery that they were in there. And now they stand at the edge of what they call the promised land, the place that they were going, the place that Israel had been dreaming of for years. Moses takes 12 men, <coughs> and he says, go into the land, go into the land of Canaan and report back to us what this promised land is and what God has promised to give us. See how it looks. Come back, give us a report. And so they come back, and the report is, the land is great. They use words like, it is flowing with milk and honey. 
But 10 of them said, but we can't go in there. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, two of these 12 said, man, we need to go. But the other 10, however, they put up their hands and said, no, 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 we can't go in there. They rise up, they say differently, they said, we can't go in there. The giants are strong, the enemies are fortress cities, we can't go in there. The risk is too great. And they retreated from the mission. And every single person from a certain age forward would find themselves wandering around for 40 years in the desert, never allowed and completely miss out on the promised land. First Samuel, now God's people have entered the promised land. After that 40 years, they, they finally make their way in. In First Samuel, we find them that all these different nations around them have kings and kingdoms. And that's how these kings and kingdoms show their power and show their glory and show their might by the kings that they follow. <coughs> God had set it up, however, that he is going to be Israel's king. That they don't need a king because God was going to be their leader. And that's who they were going to follow. They don't need an earthly king. Are the people going to retreat and say, we want a king? Are they going to risk it? and go out knowing that God would lead them, protect them, provide for them. They retreated. They said, we need a king. And the turmoil that that nation went through year after year, generation after generation, because their kings failed them again and again and again. And so when we get to the book of Hebrews, this author of Hebrews makes us see, says we see people steeped in this Jewish tradition, knowing the history, knowing the people of God, knowing all that they've been through. And the author comes to them and says, you have two options looking at you right now. Stay in the camp and retreat from the mission or go outside of the camp where Jesus is and risk everything for the mission. The mission that they had been given was in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Will you take the gospel to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world? Everywhere you go, <coughs> are you willing to do that? Will you be willing to risk your lives and take the gospel to everybody? That's the mission that they had been given. And they're there on the book of Hebrews, and they are cowering back in fear because the enemy is strong, because their fortresses are strong, because it's a dangerous place to be, because they might be martyred for their faith. And the author of Hebrews is, is compelling them. It says, do not stay here where it's safe. Risk and go. You will risk your lives, he says, to take it to everyone. Jesus suffered and died, it says, outside of the camp. And he calls you and he calls me and he calls the readers of Hebrews to do the same. Are you willing to risk it all for the sake of a billion people on this planet who have never heard of the name of Jesus? Are you willing to risk it all for the 1.2 million people that live in Niagara County and Erie County that don't know Jesus Christ and will face eternity without Christ, without you and without me being willing to risk and go to them? Let's risk it all for the sake of the lost people in our neighborhoods. Let's risk it all for the sake of our children. Let's risk it all for the sake of the people we love. Let's risk it all. You see, I don't want to be the Israelites who were afraid to risk, and so they spent 40 years wandering around in circles. And you shouldn't want to do that either. You should not want to waste your time. You should be willing to risk. Why? Because you know that you are strength training. 
You already know that the mountain is tall. You already know that the, the task is difficult. We've been told that again and again and again in Scripture. We need to go from here to there. Here is unacceptable, the place where we are complacent and okay with our current status, and it's okay for us to be able to be comfortable where we are, and yet we really think about it this morning. We're sitting here in a sanctuary that's warm, yes, but it's a matter of discomfort, and there are times where this discomfort will actually cause people not to come back to church today or not to come back another week because we're uncomfortable. Because in our Americanized culture, we say that we should be comfortable as Christians, but that is not what Scripture says. <coughs> the reality is, the reality is, is that very few of us are willing to go outside and risk. Very few of us are willing to go beyond just the comfortable Christianity. And Scripture calls us to that. Verse 14, it says, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking there for a city that is to come. It's unacceptable to stay here. It's unacceptable for us to be comfortable with the number of people around us already knowing the Savior. That's why we say those three relationships matter. Relationship with Christ, relationship with the church, but the relationship with the community. If that is missed, that's the DNA of who we are as a church. That's the DNA of what God has called us to be as believers. It's unacceptable to stay here because we are looking there for the city that is to come. Risk. Go outside to eat. Next, activate. Mind your manners. Activate. Mind your manners. Verse 15, through Jesus, therefore... Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. This is the first of two sacrifices he gives for the church. Think about Hebrew worship. Sacrifices were very much a part of everything that they did, and so he was redefining for them. The, the core part of their Hebrew worship was the sacrifice. Now he's going to give two different sacrifices. It's going to redefine what sacrifice looked like. In John chapter 4, Jesus talks to the woman at the well, and he has to redefine for her what this looks like as well, of what worship really looks like, of what it means to bring a sacrifice of praise. Verse 20 of John chapter 4, verse 20, says, Our ancestors, this is the woman at the well speaking, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. She's opening this conversation that has to do with the legalistic side of what worship had to look like. And Jesus shook that up, and the author of Hebrews is saying, that's not right either. Here's what Jesus had to say in John chapter 4, verse 21. says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews, 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And if you remember that passage, what does the woman look at him and say? Well, one day the Messiah will come and sort all of this out. And for the first time in Scripture, we see Jesus, he actually acknowledges, he says, I who speak to you am he. I'm sorting this out for you right now. It's not where you worship, it's who you worship. And in the author of Hebrews is bringing that up again to say, we bring a sacrifice of praise. 
We need to activate. Are we truly worshiping God? Are we worshiping him in spirit and in truth? In our DNA membership classes, we were just talking about this a few weeks ago. There are some of you who think that you have God's gift of singing. And the rest of the congregation knows that you do not have that gift. But you can worship. You can worship in spirit. You can worship in truth. So some of you might say, I don't have the gift of, I I can't play music, I can't sing. But does your heart demonstrate, does your face demonstrate, can you demonstrate that you are worshiping a holy God, giving all praise and honor back to him? (coughs) And worship does not just happen on a Sunday morning. Worship is acknowledging who God is and living your life day to day, throughout the day, knowing that he's in control and you are not, and therefore we give it all back to him. That's a life that is activated knowing who he is, which is the second part of this statement, mind your manners. Don't forget who God is. Don't forget who God is. Let's offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. The second half says in verse 16, and do not forget to do good and share with others, for, what, for with such sacrifices, <coughs> excuse me, God is pleased. Bruce Lansky wrote a, a nice poem about mind your manners. It goes like this. It says, don't drum on the table. Don't play with your food. Don't talk when you're chewing. It's terribly rude. Don't leave the fridge open. Don't slam the screen door. Don't throw dirty laundry all over the floor. Don't fight with your brother. Don't pull the cat's tail. Don't open your big sister's personal mail. Don't pester your parents. Don't stick out your tongue. Don't do what your parents did when they were young. Mind your manners. That whole poem is built around the first line of every line is don't. Don't do this. Don't drum on the table. Don't play with your food. Contrast that with the don'ts in verse 16. Contrast that. You see the word do not and what? And do not forget. Do not forget to do good and to share with others. You see the contrast to that? Don't forget to not take action. Activate. Mind your manners, know who God is. The reality is, is generosity, both inside and outside the church, should always be a big deal. <coughs> anytime that you share, anytime that you spend time with someone else physically, if you're able to be there for someone when they need you in the hospital and you need to be able to help them in the yard when that's a difficult thing for them to do, whatever it is, a believer, unbeliever, you are delighting God. That's why we do make such a big deal about generosity when it comes to what we do as a church. We just talked about the budget last week, and there was a meeting after the service, and 25% of every dollar that comes in here as a church is going out because we have to demonstrate as a church what generosity looks like. And you can look at our church's budget, but you can look at your personal budget. Why do you do that? Because when you look at your personal budget, you can actually evaluate whether or not you are willing to be generous. And here it says in Scripture that do not forget to do good and share with others, for those are the sacrifices by which God is pleased. We call that time in our service. It is a a gift of worship. It is an offering of worship to our King that we bring. We sang those words this morning. 
and our tithes and our offerings and our generosity. Don't forget this, it says here. What you do with your money is a sign of where your heart is. How you spend your time is a sign of where your heart is. God's people are generous people. These are the two sacrifices he gives to the church. Their system had had multiple sacrifices, but he gives them two here. These are the new sacrifices, the core of the New Testament church. Offer God a sacrifice of praise, and then secondly, do good and share with others. What are some other building blocks for sound strength training? I, initiate, or we got the extra fill-in, kiss the cook. Verse 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep a watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. (coughs) We use the word initiate or deploy, engage, start, begin, because it is It is very much against our natural being to submit. We don't want to do that. We want to fight against that. And so you have to initiate. You have to start doing that. Submitting to authority, it says here, doesn't come naturally. You have to actively choose obedience to authority. Now you say, obey? Why would the author, the writer of Hebrews, make us to say, obey? was not talking about your leader showing up at your house and saying, obey, give me your car or make me dinner. That's not the context of what is happening here. He's talking about matters of spiritual direction. He's talking about that he has ordained leaders in your life, that this is the church that he has led you to. And so because of that, you should consent that that leadership knows what is best for you or is praying to God and searching for God. And we'll get into that in a moment of, of really what it looks like on, on matters of how to behave and how to actually live out this Christian life. And guess what your balance is to make sure that they're doing that? Is it in violation of Scripture? If anything that that leader is asking of you is in violation of Scripture, that goes back to our first point, knowing your food. Kiss the cook on an apron is becoming like the barbecue apron of choice for dads everywhere. Like that, I mean, it's sharp. It looks good. This afternoon, I'll be having a Father's Day <coughs> get together with my father-in-law. And uh, he doesn't have one that says kick, kiss the cook, but like he has an apron, he puts it on, and he's the grill master, and he's in his space. He's in his element. And as he's there, there's something about that, just him being at the grill, and everybody's going to be running around in the backyard, and the kids are going to be jumping off of stuff, and hopefully no one will break their arms, and that's just going to be the way that it's going to be. And all of that chaos, my father-in-law is in his element. He loves every bit of that. He loves serving his family in that manner. He loves being there for his family when they need him. He loves standing at the grill and having a conversation with him. He he loves everything about that. I use that image, that word picture for you, because that's really what's kind of being demonstrated here by submitting to your authorities, by knowing that that authority cares for you, loves for you, wants to be able to care for the family in that manner, wants to be able to meet the needs when he can, wants to be able to show and demonstrate love when he can, wants to be able to provide a meal in a practical way. That's what that role of that leader is. And so when that leader is that way, it is very easy to kiss the cook. It is very easy to submit to that authority. It is very easy to initiate love for that individual. And that's how my father-in-law keeps watch over his family. And that's how a shepherd is to keep watch over the church. 
We've got two more weeks here in the book of Hebrews, and this summer we'll be moving into a series out of the book of Titus. And then that, that series is going to be called The Grace Driven Church. And as we go through that, we'll go into much more detail of what it really looks like uh, for leaders in the church. And so uh, stick around. We'll be headed into that later this summer. Navigate, N, navigate, or say grace. Verse 18, pray for us. We are sure that you have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. He urges the people to be praying. Say grace before your meal. Be certain that you know that you are praying for your leaders. Be, be certain that you are praying for this church. Be certain you are praying for fellow believers who are going into battle because as we said, that mountain is tall. <coughs> I tell you this, as our leadership team, as we get together, as the elders, we meet twice a month. We have one meeting that is more logistical in nature. We deal with kind of the nuts and bolts of what's going on here as a church. We have a second meeting that deals with the very spiritual uh, natures of what are going on in our care corridors or even iron sharpening iron, really calling each other out and saying, what is God trying to teach you and demonstrate in your life? And the elders are saying that to me. What is God trying to teach you through this series in Hebrews? So as we do that, I want you to know that we are bathing our decisions in prayer and spending our time in prayer. But don't you think for a moment that we believe that we get everything right. And you need to be in prayer for us in that. Be in prayer that we are making sound decisions, but be in prayer that we are also humble enough to be able to accept when we've made a mistake and to be able to call that out and lay that against Scripture and be able to say, this is actually what God wants us to do in this situation. Determining God's direction for this church. We know that God is going to give us that if we continue to bathe it in prayer. As we look to navigate through very difficult situations at times, we're only going to be able to do that if we are bathed in prayer. So as we are closing today, as the band comes up, as we talk about this training, you can see Maybe some of you picked it up. This is an acronym for the word train. As we are training, and you are training today, how will you train today so that you will have strength for tomorrow? Really, the key is found in verse 8, and it shouldn't be a surprise to you. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. They trusted Jesus in the past. These leaders that were being written to directly here trusted Jesus and he demonstrated himself again and again, came through for them again and again. And now you, today and tomorrow, you go on, you go on trusting Jesus because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But you see this implies about grace and how it strengthens what we do is that there are times we're going to make mistakes, there are times we're going to get off track, and yet still, Jesus is there yesterday and today and tomorrow. And so when we make those decisions incorrectly, when we fall off the wagon, when all those things happen, Jesus promises to forgive us and show us grace because he is there yesterday and today and tomorrow. And as we train and as we try to really build up the strength to go out and see what it is, this mountain that we have to climb and what this world is going to throw against us, know and understand that there will be times where you fail and there will be times when you fall, but Jesus is there yesterday and today and tomorrow. And he is doing that because he's not going to help me in the next two minutes as I get out of this room. He's going to help me in the next 200 years because Jesus is the same yesterday and today 
and forever. And so as we look at this passage today, as we begin to kind of close the book of Hebrews, as we are kind of tying up the loose ends, don't miss Jesus Christ. Don't miss him in all of the, the rules or all of the ways to live or all the actions that you can take and all the things that you might plan. Don't miss Jesus. Because it's only through his power that we can train. It's only through his power that we can climb any mountain. It's only through his power that we can go through the day because he is the same yesterday and today and forever. So dear Lord, dear Jesus, we come to you this morning. We know that there's only one way that we can worship you and that is through your son, Jesus. The moment we're singing these words, you are a good, good father. And we thank you for what you did when you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. And so we come to you this morning. We throw back our praise to you. And we can only do that because of what Jesus, your son, did on the cross. And so if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning, spiritually you need some training. Spiritually you need to understand what it means to know where your food is coming from. Spiritually you need to know what it means to be able to go outside and get out of your safety zone. May you not miss this morning. That is only through the grace of Jesus Christ that we are able to do this. And so if you're here today and you need to find your place in the family of God, we call you to that today. To make that decision to be able to say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, you sent, you, you came to the cross. You were pushed outside the camp. You died there outside the camp for my sins. You shed your blood for me, just like the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And in doing that, you made it possible for me to come near to you. So we thank you for that. We praise you this morning for who you are. And as you work and as you train inside of us and you develop something inside of us that's never been there before, Lord, let that faith grow because we can trust in you. We can trust in, in what has happened for generations of people following after you. And you have demonstrated yourself again and again and again that you are faithful. You are true. You are the solid rock. You are the good, good father. We confess to you, Lord, that we stray, that we run away. Pray, Lord, that your word this morning is calling people back. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand? We're gonna to sing together a song, You Are a Good, Good Father. <coughs> I'll be in the back, I'm going there right now. If there's any of you who wanna to talk to me in response to this message, please do so. People's attention are focused forward on purpose so that you can talk and we can have a private conversation in the back if necessary. If you need to meet Jesus today, please do that because he is the same yesterday and today and forever. No matter what you or I face, it is only through his grace that we can climb any mountain.